Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Thanks for joining us again in the StoryCraft Cafe. Today, our panel of writing challenge participants tackled the subject of series. What does it mean to uh, think about a series from the beginning when you're writing a book and keep the rest of the series in mind and set that up and, you know, do all of the planning and the staging so that when that series is executed, then from the beginning to the end, it's a pleasurable experience for the readers. Today, we have a special guest, Richard Fox, who joins our panelist to talk about it. Join us this Thursday at 11 a.m. Central Time, that's noon Eastern, as we tackle the next topic. And we are live in the StoryCraft Cafe. I am your host, Hank Garner. As always, joining me, my co-panelist, Rick Partlow, Josh Hayes. And today, we discover what exactly the fox says. Richard Fox <laughs> joining us uh, as we talk about... A lot of inappropriate uh, <laughs> stuff is what he says. <laughs> yes. This will, will be mildly to wildly inappropriate today just go ahead and <laughs> brace yourselves uh last week we did not meet and uh my apologies but uh we had a new addition uh Aww. to the family that that showed up last week and so we took the week off but we are back here now and we are talking about series um josh rick uh and richard uh, all have series published. I am currently in the middle of writing a series that will uh, publish, uh, begin publishing in a couple of months now. And so I thought this would be a fun topic to tackle. Um, what does what does it mean to to write, edit, and publish a series? Um, Richard, since since you're new here, although you've been on the show before, uh, but for for this discussion. You're new here. Tell folks, uh, <laughs> tell folks um, the Terra Nova series, one of my favorite um, sci-fi. Uh, I'm trying to figure out which sub genre to, to label it because it's it's kind of encompasses a bunch. Um, but but tell Terry folks kind of who you are, what you <laughs> write, and um, um, just introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Fox. I have written the Ember Wars series along with Terra Nova, co-written with Josh Hayes. And I've uh, also written the Exiled Fleet series. And uh, I think I'm up to 52 books now. And I'm co-writing the Ascent to Empire series with David Weber right now. And so I've got, yeah, so 52 books so far. So almost all of them are written within the scope of a series. So uh, when it comes to writing a series... For me, I, I need to know what the end state is when I get started. So a lot of times, I'll just have this this mental image of this is the final scene, and all. This, and now I know how my characters start. I know how my characters need to get there, 
And then by and large, I kind of know or this is going to be a three book series. This is a five book series. This is a seven book series, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and then knowing which, um, because every time when it comes to writing the books in the series, I find what really works for me is that each book poses a different question. Like for Terra Nova, the first book happens and the, the question is posed is what happened to the original colonists? And then we find out what happens to the original colonists. And then at the end of the book, the, another question comes up of, well, who were these bad guys connected to? And how do we go and deal with these other bad guys who are now loose? Like, okay. So you get in the second book, you, you deal with how these bad guys are loose and it sets up the third book, which is, okay, these bad guys are going to be coming for us. How do we defend ourselves? So each book poses a question that gets answered within that book. And that way, and that, the readers that way, like, oh, that was satisfying. The, that way, if, if you ever late, uh, end a book on to be continued, people get angry. Yes. They always, they, they, for, by and large, they get angry because they're expecting some sort of resolution. Right. So if you give readers resolution and then pose the next question, they're excited for the next book. So they're, they're both satisfied and eager. And I find that is a good way to keep people coming back to finish the series. And I, so have I ended a book on To Be Continued before? Yes. And uh, when I was doing The Ember War, which my first series, which was nine books, um, I kind of just nine towards books? the end, it occurred to me that maybe book eight and nine should have been combined, but I didn't and ended on To Be Continued. And then anyway, I was a newish author and I wouldn't do anything like that now. But that's, that was one problem I, I came up with. And then also sometimes when you're writing a series, you, you know, I think of it kind of like an accordion. Sometimes you can stretch it out. Some parts you need to, you know, change uh, to, to, to compress it to make it a little bit different. And, you know, you need to be have a little bit of wiggle room in there to know, OK, we can expand on this because the readers really like it and I really like it, too. Yeah. And and then and then also sometimes like, oh, you know what, maybe that plot line we had isn't as necessary. And we can resolve that within another book. So it's, it's good to be flexible and ultimately you have to do what's good for the story and what's going to be good for the story is what's entertaining for the reader. I've always found. So when you begin a series, you have an end end point in mind and you're yes. writing toward that end point. Yes. Um, Rick, do you think in, in terms of an end point for a series when you begin? Because almost never. I was about to say with, with drop trooper, there's, there's kind of no end point. It, um, uh, or it seems that the it just keeps. I think I think in three book story arcs when I okay. do a series I do a three book arc and I have an idea where the third book is going to end up, but that's not necessarily going to be an end of the series. Uh, there's there's exceptions to that. There's um this, when I know I'm writing just a trilogy, yeah, and it's not going to be anything else, and that's few and far between nowadays. But um. I know where I'm going to be at the end of the third book. And since I'm not planning on writing anymore, that's going to be the end. And I, but everything else, I look at where the third book's going to end and I try to make room at the end of the third book to do more stuff with those people. It used to be, however, back before I started outlining everything that, uh, I just take their every book one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, in thinking in those terms of a trilogy at a time, um, 
you and Richard are essentially talking about the same thing. You there's so a many left. <laughs> <laughs> Richard got so mad that he just dropped out. Um, I'm back. That, I don't know what happened there. It's all right. We'll we'll give you grace. Um, and he leaves again. Um, I don't want do, your grace, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's back. Um, Sorry, wires. <laughs> Josh, what, what do you think in in terms of a series? Are are you thinking about an endpoint, or are you thinking like Rick does at at an endpoint for now? Yeah. First, I just want to mention that uh, Richard mentioned me first and David Weber second. That's I think that's subliminally <laughs> that counts for something. Um, well, I think that's but, the correct hierarchy. But for sure, yeah. Uh, I, I think. Um, in kind of a hybrid way. Like I, I have an idea of what I want the series to do. Um, yeah. And then I, I break that down into smaller parts. And a lot of times those will become the individual stories for each book. Um, but then other times I kind of, kind of do what Rick does in that. I, I think of a, a major problem that they can tackle over the course of one or two or three books. And um, in, like in Terra Nova, we originally had five books planned uh, and then we squished it into four because we didn't want fluff in book four. Um, and we felt that we had done everything that we needed to do to, do to get to the, the characters to where we wanted them to be at the end. Mm -hmm. And then there was there was not enough to stretch. And so we just we cut out actually a lot like a huge subplot that we had planned um, that was going to be book four and then that would lead into book five, but we ended up not really needing it. And so instead of just writing a whole book that we didn't really need, we just kind of shrank it down and combined four and five. Um, in the Valor series, I, uh, I only had one book planned and then I had to like manipulate that plot into three and that worked out with weaponized i i don't really have a like a broad series scope because what i want to try to do with this is create a almost like a a, a universe like the mission impossible movies like the like three four five and six not one and two those are good movies but i'm specifically thinking about these other ones because they kind of start a different kind of path for the right. show um and so what i want to do is create individual things for each book and then have subplots that kind of interweave between the the books i i don't necessarily want to write standalones but i want to write them as close to standalones as possible so you can come in kind of like if you read like Orphan X or The Gray Man or any of those books, you can pick up any of those books essentially and read them as the first book. And yeah. it doesn't, you don't miss anything from the first book. The only caveat to weaponized is one and two flow directly together um, just because of the nature of those two books. But then three and hopefully four, five, and six, if I get to do those other books, those will have individual problems for that book. And all of those, most of them will be wrapped up per book and then we'll jump to the next one and the next one. Um, the, uh, 
the series that I'm writing is a, a prequel series to a another book that I had written and published a, a few years ago. And that book has a definitive end. Um, so this the the story can't go past that book, but there's lots of room on the front end to write prequels and to to have all sorts of other adventures, um, if you will. Um, so that that kind of leaves things open ended. Uh, but Richard, when you're talking about writing a series that with a definitive end in mind, um, what happens when you get to the end of that and you think of other places that you'd like to take the story. I mean, you've written spinoff series and stuff. Or do you start thinking in those sorts of terms? It's, oh, you know, while I'm writing a series, I'll have other ideas for where the story can go. And what I did with the Ember Wars, I wrote myself a couple little trapdoors that I could just jump down into if I needed to. Like I mentioned, Hale going to Terra Nova. Yeah. So I was like, okay. You know, when naturally people are like, oh, what, what, what happened to Hale and he went to Terra Nova? Boom, here's your series. Nothing good. Yeah. <laughs> and that's called drama. And uh, and then also I was like, hey, you know, I, I put in a couple lines about we lost contact with these very influential part characters. And we don't know what happened to them. People, the readers are like, well, what happened to them? And then so now they have other series that go back and, and address that. So and like the, the series I'm writing right now is it's are finishing up. It's called The Tear. And there's going to be a, a couple little lines in there that, you know, while, while book three is the end for this this trilogy, um, I could come back and do something else with it later. I mean, the interest is there. Characters rears me like, oh, that's fun. So it's uh, it, it's kind of good to just plant a couple little trap doors for yourself. And uh, but nothing too major, like one of the like one of the one of the protagonists close friends vanishes. And I'm like, where to go? And you just never address it. I mean, you need to have. You, their ending still needs to be satisfying, but also you, you don't know, want to pull a lost. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah where nothing is explained. And I was like, we need to go back and know. So it's it's a, that fine line between good happy ending and hey, what what's next? I mean, even with Re- Return of the Jedi, you know, there's a question is, well, what does Luke do now? And we never got that. So, but you know, it's it's interesting. One of my favorites, uh, space opera authors, is Peter F. Hamilton, and he mm-hmm. writes amazing books, uh, amazing. And it's funny when Richard says, "Don't end on a cliffhanger." The I think the best two books he's ever written. The first book ends on a literal cliffhanger with them going over a waterfall in a boat and the character goes, Oh shit. And they, that's the book. It ends. Um, but then that's a waterfall. It's a waterfall. (laughs) Um, but then his most recent, well, one of his most recent series salvation is a trilogy. Those books don't end on cliffhangers, but the entire point of this series was, I think that the, the, the main alien was the God at the end of time and the whole trilogy I felt was building up to go and confront this God at the end of time that these aliens were basically uh, destroying every civilization to get to. And the end of the series literally ends with them launching into hyperspace to go meet the God at the end of time. And I'm like, that was the whole point of the series. How are you going to end book three on that? Like, it's like all of the books were a subplot prelude to this. And I'm like, now we're there and this? it's over. Who was this, Josh? Peter F. Hamilton. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe he got tired of wrapping up everything in his books. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> do, do you ever um, do you ever get to the end of a series and not feel satisfied that like that that the journey has not that the end has not lived up to the journey? I, I guess what I'm really asking is um, how do you how do you know that this series is finished that you've delivered? on the promise that you set out for the reader in the beginning. A lot of times the, 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 the subplots and the, the side adventures are, are maybe more exciting than the end game. Um, how do you, how do you land the ending? Well, I think it's like that Supreme court justice when they ask him to define pornography and he said, I don't, <laughs> I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Well, if you've if you've got if you stuck the landing, if you've gotten the good ending, you'll know it. You'll feel it when you type the last words. You'll think well, that's a good way to end this. And if you didn't, then it's just going to be you know kind of mm, it's all right. Um, I feel like uh, the best ending to a series that I've ever done is probably Wholesale Slaughter, Book Six, because um, when I when I ended that. At book six, it just seemed like it was an Ouroboros, you know, a, a snake with its, you know, tail in its mouth. It The whole thing just came right. back around to the beginning and tied everything together. And I just I felt very satisfied. And if, if you just kind of ended it, then that's what you feel. You feel like you just ended it. It's kind of tough uh in in our space especially if you don't like if if you have a a plan for a trilogy usually you can pull that off but if you've got a plan that spins or that spans you know six or seven or eight books you might not be able to get there because if the books don't sell you've got to shift into something else and so the ending that you had planned might not be fully realized for you but it might be for the reader, if you can, you can work that in. Um, so it's, it, it's like for Richard, his nine book series, I thought ended phenomenally well. Uh, the, the first Ember, Ember War series, it was a great lead up. The ending was a massive, massive battle bigger on, on and that's the thing with series is a lot of times you've got to ramp it up and I'm sorry about my camera focusing. I'm not why it's, I'm not sure why it's flip, flickering, but you've got to like, ramp it up like every book's got to be a ramp up or something new and so the longer you go on in the series the harder that becomes to make the stakes because if you have every book that's a world ending thing that's going to get very old and then it's not going to they're like yeah okay the world's ending they're going to save it so you've got to be careful to meter that but then if you have the opportunity to write a nine book series, you get to book nine and it ends like in a, I don't know, a quick draw match on the streets of, uh, you know, somewhere. Is that enough of a climactic ending to cap a series? And that's, that's really tough sometimes when you're looking justified. at or for <laughs> Right. Right. Uh, and maybe that, maybe that particular instance is like the ultimate, and and he finally meets the big bad and he has a, a battle. But um, those satisfying endings can be really tricky sometimes depending on, on what you're doing and how you're doing it. I, that's why I like to have the end state in mind. And if I have that, that final scene of, okay, the characters are sitting around 
figuring out what they're going to do next after the battle's complete, then, you know, okay, the, the main conflict for the series has been resolved. And, you know, for the Emerald War, the question is, how do we survive against this invading the, the Zaros, who are this uh, Kardashev-type two civilization? How do we survive against that? And, you know, get to the end of the Ember War, like, okay, we got that. Boom. You know, the, 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 the big question has been answered. So everything is satisfying. Most everyone survives. And then you know, there's a couple the little issues that maybe the reader wants to know about in, in spinoff series. But otherwise, the reader can get to the end of the series and go, I feel good about that. Yay. And then they, they can go off and come back to another series that I've written. So with with the Ember uh, War, for example, um, originally it was nine books. Do you, do you when you're planning those out, are are you thinking about a uh, a large overarching problem that needs to be solved, and then the smaller problems along the way? Do do you kind of start thinking in those sorts of terms for for how all of the how this big story is going to break into pieces? A lot of times it'll just be when I'm outlining the series, it'll just be like one, one sentence of, you know, the, the, the good guys retrieve an artifact that they needed. And then uh, during the Ember War, there was a couple times where, uh, like when I was writing the second book, the, the only antagonist force was supposed to be the, dr- the Zaro's drones flying around the planet. And I realized that's kind of boring. Let's introduce some other characters, some other bad guy characters. And we got the Toth who, you know, eat brains, show up. And then the Toth had come out from this other idea I had that I just had in my notes called uh, Free the Farm. And what that idea they had was the special forces team goes to a planet and finds a bunch of humans who are being raised as cattle, essentially. And they don't know that they're being raised as cattle. And that, that's, that idea I had became the Gardens of Nibiru, which was like book five. Or six. Such a great book. That was yeah. one of my favorite books. Everyone loves that book. I'm surprised because I like this seems a little out of place, but people really liked it. So, and uh, the first time the one the space marine gets the thing into his head, I'm like, oh, this book's going to be glorious. Yeah. <laughs> Did somebody say they sucked out his brain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, did. <laughs> yeah the, when I was writing amazing. the second book, we had giant crystal jellyfish and brain eating aliens, and the readers were like, "Gore!" I'm like, uh, "Okay, I didn't think that was going to fly." Who am I to argue with my audience? Okay. You cannot. You cannot. Yeah, oh, but it's so but it was so it was kind of like okay, th- this kind of works to have this almost a side story um, within within the, the, the whole overarching narrative because uh, and it was. And the reason it didn't become just a total fluff side story was because we said we need the people who are on that on that planet because they know how to program this other thing that we need. So that's like, oh, we do need them. Oh, now, now there's a store reason to go there. Now there's actual motivations for the plot. It's not just, hey, everybody, wake up, get in the boat, we're going. And then, then no one kind of knows where they're going, or what they're doing. So it was. Why are we going there? Because there's stuff that sucks out people's brains. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, there's a story reason for it. Oh, good. There's motivations for everything that happens. So it was good to, to be able to find those motivations. So so, let me envision this. When when you're first thinking about the Ember War, you've got this this big overarching problem, and you lay out one sentence. Um, you know, reasons for each book that this is the the thing that we need to solve. And then you go back and figure out how to make that happen. Am I right. following you? Right. So if I know in book six that they have to go and 
get this artifact from this ancient alien space station, then, okay, well, I need to set up in books earlier that there is one of these ancient aliens who have this technology that they're going to go need later. So if you plant those story seeds, the readers, you know, they'll just get through that whole paragraph or wherever I set that up. It'll just gloss over it. And then when you get to that book, they're like, oh, yeah, he did set that. That is something we need. And the reader feels like they realize it the whole time. And meanwhile, I'm, you know, right. you know, pulling the strings there kind of thing. So, but it's, uh, yeah, setting up the story seeds for the reasons for later books is, uh, I find that's really helpful. So do you, um, when do you do a fleshed out outline of the story? Is it when you get to that book, to the, to the writing of that book? Um, or is, is there a, after you do the one sentence breakdowns, do you then go back and flesh those out or do you wait until you get to the writing of that book to figure out the specifics? Normally what I do is I'll write down the whole series outline and I know this is what happens in book one, book two and book three. And then I'll fully flesh out uh, the outline for, for book one. And Josh, you know, he once got a 15 page outline for me for Terranova <laughs> book one. And it was then- like 14,000 words. It was, yeah, it was a good outline. It was a good outline. And, and, and then I'll, but I'll look at that outline. I think, okay, what do I have to, what do I have to, you know, establish for books two and three? Right. And then I'll stop. I'm like, okay, if I know in book two, they're going to go to the crystal planet. Like, okay, we need some little breadcrumbs to put into book one and I'll put those breadcrumbs in there. And then I look, okay, what happens in book three? And I think, okay, what do I have to do in book two? The minutes that sits in book three. And then what kind of hints can I put in book one that makes book three logical? They go through and add those in there. And then all of a sudden now book two becomes a lot more natural when it's time to get to that. I'm not like starting from scratch again. So I know everything I have to set up, everything I have to pay off, everything that, you know, was, you know, there before that, you know, like the checkoffs guns. Right. That I, I, I've given to the readers to know that there's some point that's going to go off. So it's, uh, that's normally just how I work is, is like, okay, I know all the things that are going to happen here. And like with the, the 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 tier books that I'm writing right now, there's a, a bit of a plot device to make the bad guys less violent. And that that was, you know, it seems like it's extraneous information to book one. And then book two, it's like the reader should get the idea of, hey, they could use these things to stop the bad guys. And then in book three, well, oh, guess what? Get, you know, the bad guys get a good dose of the stuff that makes them less violent. Yeah. So, As an um, aside, some science fiction writers should put a weapon on one of their spaceships called the checkoff gun. I think that's a gift specifically for you, Rick. I think you should do that. A little on the nose, but I think, uh, yeah, it could work. But yeah, I, I think, uh, I think uh, a lot of folks will, will appreciate that. Um, Josh has shared with us that in his uh, current series that he's writing, that when uh, dealing with book two, he started realizing some things about book one. Um, and because he had not published yet, he could go back and and he could make some changes. Does does that sort of thing ever happen to you, Richard or Rick, um, where in the writing of one book, you start uh, new possibilities are opening up and maybe you don't have the opportunity to go back and and change a book that's already been published, but does that alter your future uh, outline for your series? Well, yeah, definitely a future. Uh, I have, my publishing schedule tends to be a bit too hectic usually uh, for 
going back and changing the first book. Yeah, um, I think every three days I get an email from Amazon. Your friend, your friend Rick Partlow has a new book published. Well, but it definitely. I will when, I, when I'm planning out a like a series. Yeah, I will make descriptions like synopsis of the next. I don't do full outline of book two or book three until I get to it because something's going to happen in book one that's going to change that outline because I always wind up having that happen that something feels natural to happen in the first book and then you got to change the second book. So I don't bother writing a full outline until after I finished the first one or, you know, the next one. Um, But I've had several times where something that came up in one book just totally changes how I want to take the series, you know, and and gives me a hint to what's going to happen in the future. Um, Sometimes, I don't know if Richard ever does this, but I will have a plan for the next few books and I'll start write, actually writing the first book in that uh, arc. And I'll realize there's too much filler in this outline. I need to do something more important with this book. So it doesn't feel like to the, to the reader, like it's just filler, you know, that they could have skipped it. So I'll just something really important from the next book and just plop it right down the middle of this one, which means at some point I got to come up with something to write in the next book because it totally throws off the, <laughs> the ideas I have for the rest of the series. But I feel like it's worth it. You've got to make every book have something important in it that, that people are going to feel like it was worth reading. That's not one you could just skip in the series. I've done that. Yeah. It's um, I, normally I come all across and I find more story that can be told like with, yeah. the, with the Ember War. So I introduced the Toth through these bad guys in the second book and they were great bad guys. And I'm thinking, and then also it kind of brings out the problem because the Toth finds something they really want from humans. And then that ends up becoming the book earth defiant where the Toth attack earth because they want the certain technology could have not had that at all, but I was sitting there going, this is fun. Yeah. And then also it kind of leads into one of the, 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 the subplots of, well, how is earth going to survive the Zaros, well, they have to make what they're called, they're called procedurals. There's a, they're not clones, but they're flash-grown humans. And then, okay, like you know, I, I love the the, the uh, story and ethical and you know, implications of. Well, now we have a whole flash-grown population. Are they real people? Are they not? You know, and then what's all the implications of this? And so that was like I could explore this kind of question in the face of, during an alien invasion, and somehow I pulled it off pretty well, I think. So. And sometimes you come across the series like, well, this is fun and it works towards the overarching questions of, you know, within the series. And that if it works, it works. But, you know, sometimes I think if there's action involved in a series, then the reader typically will not think it's fluff. If you have a, a book where everyone just kind of walking around talking about the problem and never actually solving the problem, the readers are going to be going, what are you doing? So, right. But I think if you have enough action, typically the readers won't think it's just fluff. Um, Something I've been thinking a lot about lately is theme. Um, And and I I don't normally think about uh, theme at all um, until the book is finished and then you read back over it and I start realizing that these – themes are are kind of floating to the surface um like 
oh, I, I must have really been thinking about this or, um, you know, it, it's kind of a subconscious thing that just kind of works its way out in, in my writing. Um, do you guys think about theme or um, is there ever I don't want to use the word agenda because that, that's not what I mean. Um, but is there ever a uh, an idea that you're wrestling with or uh, that you really want to find a great way to talk about and, you know, story is a great way to, to couch um, these things that you're thinking about. Do, do you guys think about that at all? Does that ever come up to you? I, um, so it, it's not technically a theme uh, for yeah. the first weaponized book, but it, it was a, an idea in the Valor series. There was a, a big, like, galaxy-wide conspiracy that was going on and they had to figure it out um in terra nova it was just survival and learning how to live in a different galaxy and and all of that and so for this for weaponized i wanted to look at unintentional consequences and um so instead of having a big conspiracy that went up through the levels of government and all that. Um, it was the whole impetus for the series or the, the book one is basically uh, greed and the person behind it all, quote unquote, didn't mean for any of it to happen. Mm. Uh, but, and he has no idea really that his actions are what caused everything to happen. And, and, um, the characters, though, and and that guy is kind of like off screen. He's he's not really antagonist. He's just the ins, 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 insider, um, inciter, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, regardless of whether or not he actually wanted to do it or not, his actions had pretty significant consequences for our main characters and his friends. And so then we look at what's justice for that. Like, is that something that it's not like he's a big bad guy where he's ruining the universe. And we've got to go just blast him away and kill him. Right. That what do we do when we find out that his actions weren't sinister? They weren't malicious. It was just, he's just greedy. Like he's bad. He's a bad guy. You know, he's, he's not a great dude. He's, he's doing stuff under the table. He's doing stuff kind of on the backhand of the law, kind of like politicians do now where they do, they do shady shit and, uh, everybody just kind of turns a blind eye, but they're not killing anybody. They're, you know, if we don't talk about like sending soldiers, well, I'm not talking about, about sending military overseas and stuff like that. I, I and yeah. I'm talking about just, you know, insider trading, that kind of thing. Like, right. That, that kind of, uh, where they say victimless crime or they're never going to get, you know, in trouble for it or whatever. Some of those things have unintended consequences. And so I kind of wanted to explore what those consequences could be. And then what's the right, how how do we fix it? Uh, I tend to get the theme after I get the story. I'll come up with the story idea first. Yeah. And then after I get the story and I get the characters, they come together and I'll realize after I've written like that synopsis, Hey, there's a theme there somewhere. I didn't realize um, like for instance, glory boy, one of my, earliest, you know, yeah, successful novels. I knew what the story was going to be about. It's about this kid who's 
from a planet of pacifist who has to go off to war. And that's a theme in itself. But really, I found out as I wrote the book that the theme was faith and whether he could keep his faith in the in the the face of all that he's had to do and what he's become. And um, like the, the theme of the birthright novel that came after that, I, I didn't realize it at the time because I was just writing stuff that was cool, you know, and, but it was how do you define humanity? What, if you're, if you're part machine, if you're more machine than human, are you still a human being? Are, are you, are you, do you still qualify to fit in with the rest of human beings or, or have you turned into something different? And that just happened to be how it came together. But I never go in designing a story or characters for a certain theme. I just let the theme kind of come out of the stew. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I'll, I'll have like a, just like a one sentence thought of what the theme is. Like for the Ember War, it's all about survival. And for the, the Queen of Sidonia book, um, it's all about, you know, duty over desire. So, you know, I just have that. It's just in the back of my head. I kind of yeah. know what it's about. And then, but the, the whole rest of the story plays out and it's never like, I have to drive this home. Doesn't that never really happens for me. Right. If, <coughs> if you have theme too early uh, in the story, do you feel like that, that that comes across as, as preachy, like, uh, like that you're, story has some sort of uh, subliminal purpose that, that turns readers off. Um, I, I, I guess what um, I can't think in, in, in terms like that, because that's not how I write. And if I had something that I was trying to get across to the reader, um, it would, it would seem to me like it would come across very heavy handed. Um, do you guys have thoughts about I, that? I, I, I think it's very um, uh, it's very easy to want to do that in your in your writing if you if you're very opinionated and you, and you want to get your own thoughts across it's very easy to do that but it's also One very this group there are no hard opinions I know right that. no we're, we're very blase right. um, but the the problem there becomes the readers see it too um, yeah. I, it's interesting though that like. I got a I got a review on Audible the other day on Valor and the the review really I mean it was a bad review obviously and I love writing I love reading bad reviews because just sometimes they just are crazy. Yeah, um this fun. guy uh, I mean Rick gets it too where people call him a liberal or progressive or whatever but so this review was titled I'm so liberal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this review is titled Benghazi Fetishing. This book is just conservative persecution fetish masturbation material. Recommend if that's your thing. If not, leave this one to the subjects of that regime. My persecution and, fetish. Yeah. I was like trying to figure out like – how anything in that book came off as that um, because there was really no politics in the book. Uh, You know, it's, it's basically a measure of duty and that's the question of, is it, is it duty or moral uh, or orders or, you know, uh, and, and 
So it was odd that I, I didn't intend to write a theme, but people pulled that out of it. Um, but I, I think if you go in purposely for it, you can you very easily turn to preaching, um, and no one wants to be preached to ever, regardless of whichever the side. And then you run the risk of turning people off on purpose. Right. Uh, you know, people that don't agree with what you're saying or whatever. I read a lot of authors that. Like personally, I don't agree with their politics or their beliefs or whatever, but they are good writers and they write good yeah. books and good stories. And I love reading those stories and I don't base the stories off of that. But if you start preaching themes, especially if it's from your point of view, you turn off a whole readership. I believe personally, if you're going to look at a theme, look at it from both angles and then present it adequately from both angles. If you can have a character that maybe sides with your opinion, that's fine, but write one that doesn't and then do a good job of writing that opposite viewpoint so that you're not making that opposite viewpoint character look like an idiot, right? Yeah. Like actually make that character smart. And yeah, if you're going to do it that way, then yes, I could see. But I mean, a lot of books really don't need that. If you're just looking to tell an entertaining story, theme can come out naturally. But yeah. An, an author that does a pretty good job of that, um, I think, is Brandon Sanderson, who who sets out to have characters um, that that he knows personally nothing about their life and, and tries to get in their head. And I've always appreciated just the the way he can try to explore this character and and you know humanize them, if you will, um even if they have a, a wildly different worldview than he does. And For sure. I, I think that's fun to to try to explore if you can. Um what about um how do you know when uh when a series has uh has reached its its expiration date um i, I can think of a number of series <laughs> when people stop buying it yeah that's what i was gonna say <laughs> well, well i think there that there are a number of series that still sell books um but they're just they're not good anymore um mm. So, you know, how do you how do you balance um, the the exactly. fact that that I could keep churning these out and selling them um, versus um, they're just not good anymore? You know, like when it's your job to make them good. I mean, yeah, you know, if you're not if you I, I I'll give you an example of Dropshipper. Okay. I had intended that to be a four book series, actually originally three books trilogy and it wound up expanding the four to end the war and then my publisher came to me and said hey you know you got to write more of these but the war ends in book four what am i going to do you have to come up with something you have to come up with a way to write good books and if you can't write good books in that series i mean that's really your feelings as a writer not any weakness of the novel or the, of the plot because you can you can make a good book with those characters if you did originally you can come up with something new for them to do now it's it's that's that's on you. You gotta. It's not the fault of the 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 characters or the plot. You've got to do that. Yeah, and not not to be cliche, but you know, if they say no tears in the author, no tears in the reader. And so if you as the author are getting to the point where like, ah, then that's going to carry through to the story, and then the reader is going to be like, you have wasted my time with a story that is meh. We you know, like you know, readers can tell when authors are phoning it in 
And so it's, I, I think it's, it's important to have that, you know, if, if, you've got, if you've got your plan, if you planned out your series, right. And you know, every single book's going to hit some really good emotional notes, keep on going. But if you're ever at the point like, Oh God, three more of these, um, you, you probably need to find a way to, to, to wrap it up sooner than later. My, my advice is if you have an idea for another series with another theme that you want to work on, there is no reason you can't take all those themes and all that stuff and put it in the series that's successful and just change the direction and make those characters do the things that these other characters were going to do. Because I've done that with, with Drop Trooper. I was like, I want to work on this other series with this storyline. Well, you know, these guys can do that. There's no reason that they can't experience that and react to it. And, so, series and setting is all window dressing, right? Like the story is the story and yeah, you right. can, you can do that almost with anything, uh, with any character and any setting, you can take any story, any plot device you want and put it wherever you want it. If you've got an established series, or you want to do something new. I think though, that with some series, speaking of where do you know that you're going to end it? Sometimes the characters dictate that. Uh, and what I mean by that is, um, uh, you know, David Weber is, is a friend of mine. He's a good, great author. He's been doing it for 30, 40 years or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and he pump, pumps out these tomes of books, right? His Honor Harrington character has promoted to like fleet admiral or something like that. And there's really nothing cool you can do with a fleet admiral. They're sitting behind their desk, moving things around. Right. Um, and so the, the writing is still fantastic. The stories are still there, but the main character that the audience is latching onto, they're not having the same, reaction to honor that they were in you know book seven through eight when she was out right. doing captain things and she was out exploring and doing different things so you know you contrast that to i mentioned the gray man before um but the gray man doesn't he doesn't age like the right. time is not the time is not progressive and yeah. so in that aspect the character will not dictate the end of the series. The reader will, or maybe the author will, but that theoretically could go on forever. Whereas in the honor verse with honor specifically, she has promoted and grown out of some of the things that we really loved the series for. And so in that aspect, you need to either do something new or find another character in that series that is in the position of captain or a lower ranking. I, uh, officer that can go and do all these fun things that you were doing before switch that perspective and make them the main character and so then you, if you want to continue in that so or you know people do kids all the time um you know they, I, I, the, the I kids into that problem and and i promoted my character too much to do it that stuff but instead of going to another character i just like brought down the government and threw him into like a rebellion where he didn't have any choices to fight, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> so I could see like if, if honor Harrington was an admiral and then there's like a, a coup and other, you know, rebel officers try to take over, forces her into action again, something like For that. For sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, even, even Tom Clancy dealt with that. You know, once yeah. you've made Jack Ryan president of the United <laughs> yeah. States, yeah. Yeah. You know what, 
what are you going to do? Goes, what, then he goes what, out and watch, watches the anti-missile uh, weapons shooting down Chinese ICBMs. Right. He's definitely not going to be stopping terrorists in London. Maybe well, on Air Force One. But that's true. <laughs> that's true. One thing that Tom Clancy always had for him is you would be 400 pages in and he's still introducing characters. (laughs) He never had a shortage of characters. Talk about a series that needs to end. The Tom Clancy universe. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know the the Mark well, Cameron's latest eyes maybe yeah he's been dead. dead yeah he's well, admire the, work the problem yeah. is the Clancy <laughs> name still sells books the Clancy name still sells books uh, there are good books that are not written by Clancy um, yes. but I think now they're kind of getting to a point where they're not really paying attention to story or character development or really anything like that. They're just banking on the name selling books as a, as a, as a business. Right. And so like, then you look at it and from a reader standpoint, even from an author standpoint, you're like, yeah, I mean, maybe you should do something else. Like, well, maybe we're we're, we're definitely living in the age of franchise authors and 100% a, a number of authors have passed on and new writers come in and take up the banner and just keep charging forward. And sometimes that's an okay thing. And sometimes, like you said, you know, we need to appreciate the things that this author gave us and find yeah. something new. Yeah. Sure. I mean, when, when readers go and they see Tom Clancy's name on a book, they know it's going to be a Tom Clancy book. So that's really, it's kind of, that. that's the market. It's, it's a branding now. Yeah. It's, it's a Tom Clancy sort of book. And then, Oh, look, there you go. And then, I mean, even if, uh, Who's the guy that ever did the Da Vinci Code? Dan Brown. Dan, Dan Brown. Brown. I mean, yeah. if you could just, it's just say it's a Dan Brown book. It doesn't matter if it's written by him or not, but if you know it's Probably that kind of story it. structure, that kind of <laughs> background, that kind of awful prose, you know. <laughs> Dan Brown. I will say though, uh, just really quickly on the mention of series and Tom Clancy, um, you look at the branding of Tom Clancy, and you're like, oh, it's a Tom Clancy book. But the the books that are post Clancy are not the by the letter of Clancyism Tom Clancy books because the way he wrote is not mirrored in the f- subsequent books it's just not and like Mark Cameron's book if it wasn't a Jack Ryan book probably would have been a much better book had it not been a Jack Ryan book the the Red Winter book that just came out yeah. I read that um Red Winter if it would have just been on its own, would have been a great book. Kind of like uh, the Gray Man movie on Netflix. If it hadn't been the Gray Man, it would have been a phenomenal, it was still a good movie, but it would have been a phenomenal movie just on its own. And yeah. I think they do that a lot with franchising and story where they take the name and it's like the Jack Ryan series on Amazon. That's not Jack Ryan. You, not like, Jack Ryan. Right. Like the, it's good. It, but it's it's not good. Ryan. But if yeah. I think if they would have, if they would have done it, Without the Jack Ryan moniker, if they just yeah. would have done a terrorism spy series, way I think the reception would have been way better than what it was when it when it released. Well, here's here's how to one way to judge it. If you can go to the bookstore and you can pick up a book that has Tom Clancy's name on it and it's three hundred and seventy five pages, it's not, not a Tom Clancy, Clancy right? right. It's not a Clancy book. I will say though, Picard season three. I know Richard's going to agree argue with me on this. Picard season three is some of the best Star Trek 
if you take out season season one and season two, and Picard season three, Richard's looking for something to throw across the camera. <laughs> it's like it's like for me, it's like uh, uh, the next generation the eight, and so that's actually a really good. Uh, a really good segue to say if you've got characters that are now getting older and they're doing different things, putting him into a different situation, they, I think they did that really well. And then you can bring other characters back as cameos or memorable characters like uh, uh, Standish uh, in the Ember War. Uh, he can come back and he can do different things. And when he comes back, people are like, oh, yes, yeah, Standish is back. I love it. Um, and you could do that with longer series too when you're bringing in characters like that. Um, one series that, um, that I'm baffled by, um, and, and the, the fan reception of is the wheel of time. Uh, and, and Josh and I have had many conversations about the wheel of time. I don't understand it. Um, I, and, and, and I think that the, the biggest thing that I don't understand is it's fandom. Um, because there are a series of books in the middle of the series that everyone calls like the slog or something mm. like that, like a very derogatory name. I never got past the slog. <laughs> I never got to the slog. We um, never even got. Th- we didn't even get through book two. No. <laughs> no. I got through. I got to book five, I think, and then I was like, I can't take this anymore. I- I just I don't understand what what I don't understand is is people say you just need to make it through the slog to get to this massive glorious ending to get the Brandon um, Sanderson <laughs> which Brandon Sanderson wrote um you know with uh Robert Jordan's notes and you know the, it's it's a very storied uh story um but anyway um why did people stick through books that they did not like did, they, did the did the i guess what i'm asking did the author make a promise up front that the readers believed he would deliver on so i've got a thought about that really quickly okay. um because I, I when i tell people to read the uh, the way of kings which mm-hmm. is sanderson's uh, stormlight archive book 1 right i tell them you have to get through like the first 15% of the book, 20% of the book, um, because then it becomes amazing. So, but I say that in, 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 in readers such as the wheel of time or in Sanderson series themselves, Sanderson has promised and delivered to his readers so many times that the slog doesn't matter because they know by the time they get to the end all of those payoffs are going to be fulfilled and they're going to have a emotional ending that is great. And, you know, they were going to get closure, all of that stuff. So in, I guess in the wheel of time, it, it could be something similar. I never enjoyed it, but if, if, if you know through experience that Robert Jordan or Brandon Sanderson can end a book, then I think that you're, you're, you're more apt to get through the slog to get to, the ending, but, but again, that that's, it takes a really uh, skilled author and it takes a history of proving that you can do it to be able to drag those readers through the slog. Well, this is what I don't understand is um, 
some of those books in the middle um, that that and I'm 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 quoting the fandom here. This is not my opinion because I haven't read them. Write it down. But they the the fans talked about how horrible these books are. I mean, they literally call them the slog. Um, yet they sold more copies than the previous books had. I I, I think, and I, I may not have this right, but I think when when you got to the slog era. Though th- that's when they started uh, topping the the New York Times bestseller list and and setting all of these sales records, when the people buying and reading them did not like them, yeah. Yet they kept selling more and more. I, it's kind of like David Duffy. It. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it, it defies logic. I don't I don't get it. That's it's an David Duffy's an insider joke because he's read significantly uh, a significant portion of all of our books and hates almost every single one of them. (laughs) You could look through every Ember War book, every Valor book, every almost every one of Rick's books, and you will find a David David Duffy review. It's usually a two or a three, sometimes a one star. Very rarely he'll give a five star or a four star, but usually it's this writing is so amateurish and the plot is stupid. It and it goes all over, but then he'll buy the next book and he'll read it. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? If you don't like the books, don't read them. Like, it's as simple as that. I would, I would say I haven't seen any of his in a while. Have you, Richard? Oh, I got one from not too long ago. So. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I thought he might have died. Yeah, yeah. But I got a four-star review from him once and I was concerned. They're like, oh, crap. Everyone's going to think I'm him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, but I, when it comes to slogs, I think the reason the way uh, readers will still stick with it is the readers really care about the characters. Yeah, and they they really want to know what happens to so and so. And like I was, I just read the end and the death, which is the the first of the last two horror series books in the Warhammer Forty Thousand, and. People have been waiting for this last chapter of the whole Horus Heresy story for, oh, 20-ish years. And then we get to the end of the death, and I thought we think, everyone's thinking, we're going to get one of the big battles. We're going to get Sanguinius and Horus. We're going to get something else. And we didn't. And I was a little upset because I'm like, come on, give me something (laughs) here. I mean, the last book, we had Sanguinius taking down Angron and that one corn demon whose name I can't remember. And and like that was great. We love that. And then it's like, well, where's the big fight that we we're expecting? But am I going to buy the next book? Absolutely. Because that's the that should be the last book. Mm-hmm. We finally know what happens with Horus and the Emperor and Sanguinius. And there's all these theories going on. Like we, we want the answers. So, you know, as the people if, if people are connected to the characters, they'll stick through the slog. And I think sometimes the reason there is a slog is because publishers may go to that author and say, we're selling too many of these books. You can't stop it. Yeah. We need uh, three more and we will give you money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So much money to keep writing. And then the author's like, I like money. And <laughs> they're all right, I'll, we'll, we'll make it three more books somehow. You know, I the, would slog, really the, like- slog in, the slog in, in the real time, I, I liked some of the characters, and that's the reason I stuck with it as long as I did. And as the books went on, I found myself skipping parts that dealt with certain parts of the story to get to the characters I liked. And as the books went on, I skipped, was skipping more and more. And you're paying like 20 some dollars for a hardback 
as it comes out and you're skipping more than half the book, it's like, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to do this anymore. That's why I quit. I, I want to get to a point where uh, the publishers are giving me truckloads of money, but I don't actually have to write a book. Hmm. You know, like if I get to Martin's level or, or Rothfuss's level and like, just, just tell everyone, Oh, it's coming. I'll give you a preview chapter if you give to my charity and then like not no, ever do no, it. And, and, and then I could just get a whole bunch of money. <laughs> does does anybody believe that Rothfuss uh, uh, series will ever end? No. No. He's had 10 years to write one book. Come on, man. Even, like, even at Martin's 500, even at 500 words a day, which you could do in five, 10, 20 minutes, uh, at 10 year. Come on now. He, I can, Martin's never going to write another book in that series. Yeah. I can almost guarantee that publishers have sat around and, and said, we need to keep them poor because if they have money, they'll stop working. Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, Martin's not yeah. poor. He's got a TV series. <laughs> Martin is Martin has so much money that he bought the house across from where he lives just to put his miniatures. Yeah. <laughs> so and that's like that's what I want. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've got miniatures too, but I don't know if I need a house for them. But yeah, <laughs> I want to, and then I'll never go over there because, like, I can't. Like, you see, my walls are covered because I can't. I literally cannot put any of my stuff anywhere else in the house because my wife is like, "No, that's not going anywhere." <laughs> I just want to buy a house and then fill the entire house with this, just so she can't tell me no. You keep that nerd stuff across the street. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I'll be in my man mansion, honey. Excuse yeah. me. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then when when I get in trouble, I have to sleep on the couch. I have a whole other house I can go to. Ah, I'll sleep on the couch over there. Forget that cave nonsense. Right? Yeah. Right. I'll sleep in the California King I have over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, guys, that uh, that is our time for today. Um, Richard, since you are our guest this week, um, tell folks where they can find all your stuff. And um, do you have a a new release. Uh, what What's on your, what's the latest on your release calendar? Oh, so next uh, thing that's releasing is the audiobook for tier book two read by RC Bray. That will be out uh, next month. And then the, the final tier book will be out in May. And then uh, in December, I have my first uh, story standalone book with Bane that will be published uh, right now. Is in, in, the title is the shattered star legacy. Uh, book one is Light of the Veil, and I got to do a recover reveal for that pretty soon. Oh, nice! And uh, yeah, and then there's just that—that's what's on the the short term. So, uh, if you can find me on Amazon, just type in Richard awesome. Fox. I suggest starting with the Ember War or um, Albion Lost, which is that series has, has been optioned for TV development, and so that maybe we'll see something for that in the next year or two. And or always um, read Terra Nova, written by me and Josh Hayes. That's a great story. Stands great alone. Story. You know, you can just start, start with Terra Nova and enjoy the all five books there. Four books. Excuse me. Four books. Yep. Awesome. Five questions. Three, sir. <laughs> Rick, Rick, you've had a uh, fairly recent release, haven't you? Um, I had uh, one of the book I was, the series I'm collaborating on with uh, Pacey Holden. Uh, that came out Tuesday, book four in that. Uh, I also have Drop Trooper 12 coming out April 18th. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. Josh, do you have anything uh, on your release calendar? I know you, you've got several things in the works. 
The only thing, um, no, I, I've got um, a short story through Bane uh, that is going to be in uh, Tom Crapman's Terra Nova again, Terra Nova. <laughs> completely unconnected but uh, uh terra nova uh anthology i don't know i think that's coming out this summer but i'm not exactly sure Gosh, it's going to specialize in writing terra nova books from now that's on. right <laughs> uh and then uh weaponized i think will come out this fall it just it really depends on on publishing schedules um but i think it'll be this fall awesome thanks for your time everybody we'll see you next week That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.